what is going to happen at the inside linebacker position in 2017? Also, what in the world is going on with Tamba Hali? Let's talk some Chiefs, guys. Welcome back to the Minnesota Chiefs Fan Podcast. I am your host, Minnesota Chiefs Fan, or Seth Kaiser. I am excited to run into episode four. As you may be noticing, we've got a few changes this week. We are going to start trying to actually have some kind of production value. Is it going to be much? No. Is it going to be better? Well, maybe. Let's find out. And so there's a lot to talk about this week, and I just want to start diving in. First things first, a little administrative stuff. I'm going to start trying to have this be a weekly podcast that drops every Monday morning or noonish or so. I want this to be something that you can count on coming at out at around the same time pretty much every week. Uh, that way you know where to find me and uh, when you can get a listen to it. And so additionally, um, pretty excited. The uh, With training camp around the corner, the, the, the nature of this podcast is going to start to change as we stop thinking about film reviews from last year and start talking about the future. And in that vein, tonight, we're going to be talking about, or today, <laughs> depending on what time you're listening to it, you know, for me, it's midnight because I don't sleep like a normal person. But we're going to be talking about inside linebacker, which is one of the most important positions on the team in terms of we're not really sure how things are going to shake out. Everyone knows the primary hope for the Chiefs this year is that Derek Johnson is healthy, and we'll talk about that. But we're, no one's really sure exactly what's going to happen at the uh, strong inside linebacker position next to him. There was a plethora of players that were next to that played that position last year, and so it's kind of anyone's guess as to what's going to happen. We're going to talk about that. What I've done is I went back and I reviewed the 2016 film. I reviewed all the snaps of Justin March. I reviewed uh, three or four games of Rameek Wilson. Um, including New Orleans, Jacksonville in the second game against Oakland. Um, I reviewed all the snaps that are available for Terrence Smith and all the snaps that are available for DJ Alexander. And in, while doing so, I tried to take notes on their strengths and their weaknesses for each and try to get an idea of who can bring what to the table. So we'll talk about that. We'll talk about each guy individually. Um, but first, before we get into that and before we close off with mailbags like we always do, we got to talk about Tom Bahali. Now, I'm not sure what's going on with Tom Bahali. Um, he basically took over Twitter today, or at least Chiefs Twitter, and proceeded to say a lot of things about a lot of stuff, both on his timeline and replying to people. Basically, the long and short of it, according to him at least, is he wants to play more. He's not happy about the fact that he didn't play much in 2016, and I can understand why, according to him, from his Twitter timeline, he was told the reason he wasn't playing much as the season went along was that they were saving him for the playoffs. Then, as we all know, the playoffs came along. He played seven snaps against Pittsburgh, a game that could have really used his help, both as a run defender and as a pass rusher, and he's clearly not happy about it. He also said a few things about appearances and organized team activities that if you squint or not even squint, it could kind of look like pot shots at Justin Houston and Marcus Peters and Eric Berry and even D Ford, guys who missed organized team activities. Um, he did later on go on to state in a reply to someone, no, I'm not talking about my teammates. I'm just talking about hard work in general. I'm talking about what I've done to try to be successful. Um, he also, and it's a lot of territory to cover, I actually wrote an article on Arrowhead Pride if you want to take a look at some of the tweets that are out there. He also, when someone asked him, don't you trust the coaches to put the best player in in a given situation, he said flat out, no. That's got people a bit fired up, along with kind of the seeming pot shots at teammates with regards to organized team activities. Check out his Twitter timeline. doesn't look like he's going to be deleting them anytime soon. Or check out Arrowhead Pride. Both uh, the blog father, Joel Thorman, and myself have an article about him with showing the different tweets and mine's a little more in-depth talking about some reactions to him. And so I guess here's the long and short of it. When you look at everything that he said, and it'll take you a while if you go through all his tweets and replies, if you look at everything he said, what it looks like, as best I can tell, is that Tom Bali has some frustrations 
not only with the way things went down last year, but also with guys not showing up at organized team activities when he's showing up, um, a guy who's been in the league for a dozen years. And those some of those frustrations, I think, as far as you can tell, seem to boil over when fans were questioning his commitment to the team, given his other interests, rap being the primary one. He uses his Twitter account to promote his, his rap career that he's trying to get into, which I haven't heard any of his songs. I have no idea whether he's any good, but it's something he's trying to do. And I think, well, I don't think I know, because if you check Twitter, you can see this. People kind of give him the whole stick to football. You should have, shouldn't have all these other interests, et cetera, et cetera. Not something people should be saying to him. And I think eventually it set him off as far as I can tell. And so he just went on a tirade. He was tired of people asking him why he wasn't playing or whether his commitment was high enough. And so he just flat out said it. Hey, I thought I should have played more last year. I think I've got plenty to give still. And I think it was a mistake not playing me. I have no problem with him saying that. Frankly, I agree to an extent, especially in the playoff game. I've talked about the film in that game before. And what the Steelers were doing a lot of was paying a lot of attention to Justin Houston and Chris Jones. And D. Ford and Dontari Poe did not make them pay for it. They they did not take advantage of multiple single-team opportunities, the multiple one-on-ones that they had. And I think Tom Bahali would have done better than what we saw. And additionally, as a run defender, Tomba is still significantly better than D. Ford, in my opinion. And I think he could have helped stop Livin Bell a little bit as well. And so... I can see why he'd be frustrated, especially if he was told all season that the reason he's not playing a lot of snaps is so he saved up in the playoffs. Then the playoffs come and he plays seven snaps. According to Therese Paler, who is just the greatest, Tomba brought up this issue with the coaches and was just told by Andy Reid, just keep getting better at the end of the year. I don't know about you know Tomba, but I guess for me that would be frustrating. It's a non-answer, right? It's coach speak. And so I get all of that. Um, the comments he made about organized team activities, I don't get that as much. And I know Chiefs fans and probably even listeners of this podcast tend to come down on one side of that issue or another. To me, those are voluntary. And as long as it's a guy who's putting in the work and the guys like Marcus Peters, like an Eric Berry, like a Justin Houston, you know they're going to put in the work. I don't really care. Um, as far as you know, mentoring younger players, coach is coach. And as long as guys show up for the mandatory stuff and as long as they're there and they're engaged and they lead when they're there, I really have no problem with guys not showing up. Opinions vary on that. For me, regardless of what your opinion is on that, if Tomba's got an issue with that, I don't think putting people on blast on Twitter is the way to handle it. I don't think that ever really helps a situation as far as team chemistry goes, as far as lighting a fire underneath someone goes. And I do think that there's a significant chance that it could hurt team chemistry because, you know, at a certain point, if you're Eric Berry and you came off a just phenomenal year as a safety and you're a guy who, you know, rejected the idea of a central line while you were recovering and taking chemo treatment for cancer so you could keep working out, which is something he did. Look that up. Having someone kind of call out your commitment a little bit, that might rub me the wrong way. If you're a Justin Houston where you were battling injury and you know you had this, that, and the other thing going on, and part of that injury was a misdiagnosis initially of the injury, and so it resulted in a second surgery and all this stuff that went wrong with him, he wants to work out on his own. It's worked out really well for him in the past, including the season where he almost broke the sack record. That might bother me if I was Justin Houston. You know, it might be kind of a feeling, you know, from those guys, you know, this is our team. We are the best players on the defense. We are the leaders of this defense. And getting called out in public like that might not go well. Now, I think they're all mature enough to handle it internally, but the problem is that's not what's happened. Um, And who knows? Maybe Tomba tried to have a conversation with them, and this is the best way he feels to light a fire under them. I disagree with doing things that way. I think you handle these things internally, and if that doesn't get it done, it doesn't get it done. But putting people on blast in public, I've just never seen a situation where I think that really helps things out. Opinions can vary on that kind of thing, but that's where I land there. Um, Now, his comments that it's not really about his teammates, I don't know what to make from that. Basically, what it really looked like, especially as you scroll through his replies, Tombo was replying to like everyone for a while there. It was a fan's Twitter dream come true. He was replying to everyone who was talking to him. 
And when he said, well, I'm not talking about my teammates, I think he was trying to backtrack a little bit because I think he recognized the potential problems that that could create. And, you know, the comments about the coaches, well, it is what it is. I don't think players need to automatically assume their coaches are always right. Now, I think they got to go out and do their job and they got to trust the coaches to a large extent. But I want players that are willing to say, hey, coach, I don't know if this is working. You'd hear about Travis Kelsey saying, hey, I need the ball more. And he was absolutely right. You want players that have some sense of autonomy because they're the guys on the field. They're the guys with the, the feel for the game and what's happening. And I want my players willing to speak up. Uh, that said, you got to be careful how you do that. Again, I'm sure he, he says he brought it up with the coaches. I don't understand why bringing it up on Twitter is the way to take a next step there. I don't think it accomplishes anything. I think what happened is Tombo was frustrated and he kind of just snapped a little bit with regards to, you know what? I don't care. I'm a veteran. I put in this much work. I'm going to say what I want. And you know what? Fair enough. When I wrote about Tom Bahali's film in 2016, I reviewed six of his games. He was laying it all out there on the field, and I respect that. I, I talked about it in this podcast. I wrote about it on Arrowhead Pride. He is a guy who really leaves everything on the field and clearly will play through pain. And so, I mean, he's given everything. And so if there's anyone who's earned a benefit of a doubt from me with regards to his reasoning – it's Tomba. I don't think he's trying to force his way out. I don't think he's just throwing a fit. I think he thinks he's doing the right thing to try to get accountability there and try to get things moving. Do I agree with how he did it? No. But I do think that Tom Bahali cares more about winning than maybe any other player on that roster. And so we'll see how things shake up from here. You know, I'm sitting here recording this at, uh, you know, 12, 12 a.m. on a Sunday morning. Who knows what could come by the time this is all out there? Hopefully things die down a little bit. Guys get to their camp. They say, whoa, Tombo, what's up with that? And he says, this is how I feel. And they say, "Okay, this is how we feel. And they all say, fair enough. And they're grownups about it. One side note, if you haven't listened to the podcast, in which I talked about Tombo Ali, here's the long and short of it. No, he's not washed up, at least based on his 2016 film. No, he's not done. He still gets to the quarterback, not quite like he used to, but he's still a good pass rusher, still good against the run. I think he had plenty to offer in that playoff game, and I can see why he's upset, sitting on the sideline thinking, man, just a couple extra pressures could have changed that game. Just one run run stuff might have changed that whole game. So I can get why he would be upset with that. And so... We'll see where it all goes from here. I don't think Tomba's completely lost his mind. Hopefully things die down by training camp. It's been a weird offseason, and it would be good to just get some sense of normalcy. And so that's where we're at with Tomba Hali. Uh, we're going to take a quick commercial break, and when we come back, I'm going to start to talk about inside linebacker, and we're going to dive deep, guys. So, you know, go grab a snack or get some Wheaties or Whatever it is you do when you listen to a podcast, I wouldn't eat Wheaties because I think they're disgusting, but you do whatever you want to do. All right, we'll be back in just a second. All right, let's talk about inside linebackers. First and foremost, I think it's important to understand how things went without DJ last year. Derek Johnson is the absolute most important player in that unit, and everyone knows it. I've talked about DJ a little bit. The bottom line is, before Derek Johnson went down, the run defense was average. Allowed, I believe it was 4.1 or 4.2 yards per carry, but it was ranked. It would have been ranked 16th in the league, right? Now, when he went down, that ballooned up to something around 5.2, 5.3. I don't remember the exact number, but I do know it would have been dead last in the league over the course of a year. Their run defense went from passable to awful and all you have to do is turn on the film of the oakland game he went down now to be fair bob sutton wasn't game planning around not having Derek johnson but you can see the difference in the run defense before he went out their run defense was playing really well after he went out oakland started running the ball a lot more at will and so you know he he is he is the guy um all indications are he's on track to recover and so fine we'll hope that we've got at least one more year with dj he says he wants to play another couple years 
Um, I reviewed his film to an extent. Um, this is going to be about the other guys, but just to let people know, you know, I watched him, and as far as people talk about him slowing down, people talk about him not making as many plays, I'm not seeing it yet. I don't know if he's quite as fast as he used to be, but he is still a very, very fast linebacker. He he still makes plays no one else can make. So I'm not worried about DJ at all as long as he's healthy. Now, the rest of the guys, that's where it gets kind of interesting. And before we start talking about the the other four guys that might be competing for a job next to DJ this year, assuming he's healthy. It's important to understand the job responsibilities of a weak of a weak inside linebacker versus a strong side inside linebacker. And I'm not going to get too crazy here on technical X's and O's because frankly that's kind of boring and I don't want to. But what I do want to just point out is that whoever is playing next to DJ is going to have the job of taking on blockers. He's going to have the job of filling gaps. He's going to have the job of kind of doing some of the scut work. Um, that's just where it comes from being a, the inside linebacker opposite DJ. Your job is to generally take on blockers at the point of attack and make sure that you fill your gaps. Not going to be as much glory there chasing down running backs free and clear. An interesting note is they've recently signed back Josh Maga, who, uh, as we all know, played next to DJ for years. I haven't had time to review his film. We kind of know what we have in Maga. We got a guy who isn't completely terrible. He's nothing really that special, but he knows the defenses and he knows the formations. He knows how to get everyone lined up and help DJ with that stuff. So you know what you've got with him. And so that's comforting in a sense if none of the young guys step up you know you've got a guy you can plug in there who's not going to completely wreck things for everyone which look sometimes the best you can do is not terrible and so what I did like I said at the beginning of the podcast I went back and I reviewed all four of the guys who appear to be competing for the job besides Josh Maga and again I think Maga's got an inside track with some of these guys but I don't think he's at all a shoe-in to earn that starting spot back. Um, so the the four players that we've got, um, in order of how many snaps they re- they had last season, are Rameek Wilson, who took over the weak inside linebacker spot when DJ went down, Justin March, who won the job, or Justin March Lillard, who won the job outright in preseason and training camp last year, going into 2016 and he was the strong side inside linebacker next to DJ until he got injured after the, uh, or during the Raiders game. And it came out afterward that he was injured. Um, so you only had, I believe it was three, four games from March. Oh, five. I'm so sorry, man. Yeah. Much more professional that way. We've got a little more sound, aren't we? Um, he played five games and so we got a good amount of film on him to review and then the other two guys that didn't have nearly as many snaps are uh, Terrence Smith, who came in after the Tennessee game. He actually starred a little bit in preseason, and some people saw some real potential in him. And he played the final week of the season, uh, the final two weeks of the season, as well as against the Steelers in the playoffs. So after him, you've got DJ Alexander, special teams guy, who came in and played pretty much all the strong inside linebacker snaps against Tennessee and then did not see the field for the defense again, which probably tells you a little something about how the coaches feel like that went, but we'll get there in just a second. So the process of reviewing these guys, just to go over it quickly, you just review each snap, you chart strengths and weaknesses, or at least you take some notes. I didn't do my usual wins, losses, that kind of thing, because one, we're in a bit of a hurry, and two, it's a little bit more difficult to do that with inside linebackers so you know the the key is to try to figure out especially versus the run who is the guy that we want to have next to Derek Johnson this year and then also maybe think a little bit moving forward what any of these guys might be able to bring to the table in the next couple of years are these long-term guys are they stopgap guys are they guys who could ever play the weak inside linebacker spot are they the guys who play the strong inside linebacker spot and that's it all those kinds of things, right? So, you know, some of the traits that I look for in an inside linebacker, especially a, a strong side inside linebacker, 
I really want to see recognition. I want to see a guy who seems to quickly diagnose the play and start moving towards where the ball carrier is. I want to see a guy who seems to recognize when offensive linemen are coming at him and when he needs to engage, when he needs to try to sidestep, all those things, when to plug the right gap. I want to see a guy who, you know, if you if you had, you know, you know, you know, the awareness feature the awareness rating in Madden up as high as possible, right? A guy who knows what he's supposed to be doing out there. The second thing I really want to see in a guy at this spot is some physicality. He needs to be willing to take on offensive linemen and just plug gaps. And that is rarer than you'd think. A lot of linebackers, they want to kind of stay free and clear. They want to stay clean and go after the ball carrier because let's face it, you got guys that weigh 60 or 70 pounds more than they do trying to knock them unconscious. That's scary, but it's an absolute necessity if you want to be successful playing inside linebacker, period, let alone strong inside linebacker. You've got to be willing to just get your nose into the muck and slam into a gigantic human as hard as you can. And just as importantly, not just be willing to hit, but be able to stonewall him and plug that gap and create a, a, a wall where that offensive lineman was supposed to be creating a hole because you can actually use the offensive lineman against a running back in that situation and leave them with nowhere to run. Another thing I look for is the ability to shed blocks, which kind of explains itself. I want a guy who can be able to get free and clear. Also related to that, you want a guy who's who keeps his head up almost when you think of, I guess, the easiest thing to compare to would be like when you've got a defensive lineman two gapping. I want a guy who's when he's engaging an offensive lineman, keeps his head up and keeps trying to locate the ball carrier because you're not doing anyone any good if you stand up an offensive lineman, but the running back blows right by you within three inches of you, but you didn't see him coming. OK, so and on side, the final thing that I want to look for is speed. Speed and tackling. Now, okay, tackling is kind of like catching with a wide receiver. That's kind of the duh thing. Can they tackle well? If they're terrible at that, none of the other stuff matters. Speed matters to me to an extent because it allows you to do more. You can run down plays on the other side of the field. You can cover for other people's mistakes, etc., etc. It's not a hugely important thing for a strong inside linebacker, but it definitely raises the ceiling of what a player can do. And so with those things in mind, Let's start off, and, and we're going to kind of go in a bit of reverse order. We're going to talk about DJ Alexander first. We're going to talk about Terrence Smith, and then we're going to take a commercial break because, guys, i got to feed my family. I don't know what you want from me. And then we're going to talk about Rameek Wilson. Then we'll talk about Justin March. All right? So DJ Alexander is kind of an interesting guy to watch because physically he checks all the boxes. He's he, He's got good size. He's very explosive. When he decides where he's going, he gets there quick and he gets there strong. He can take on offensive linemen, no problem. Um, he, he hits like a freight train when he's got guys lined up. You can see why he's a really good special team player. He's got good sideline to sideline speed, which is not all that common for a lot of the inside linebackers. He, in other words, I mean, physically, he really seems like the total package when you watch him run around and hit people. And that's why there were a couple plays last year. If you'll recall, I think there was one against Denver where he just burst through the line and just, just canonize someone and it's awesome to watch and the crowd goes oh and then you wonder man why isn't this guy seeing more snaps well here's the issue with dj alexander based on especially the titans film that i watch and i think these some of the weaknesses he demonstrated are the reason why he basically got to play in one game extensive snaps and then they said we gotta call up terrence smith and get him playing because this just isn't going to work. And the biggest thing is with with Alexander is he just seems to lack that all-important awareness and recognition. He just doesn't quite seem to get where he needs to be and that's a killer. That'll get you every time. Um he just doesn't seem to to know where the uh where, where the runners are especially when he engages an offensive lineman he just doesn't see where the runner is and then additionally that lack of vision if you want to call it that it's also included when he's trying to watch the ball carrier it's like he doesn't even see offensive linemen coming and so what ends up happening is he gets engaged rather than engaging the offensive lineman 
and that'll get you blown backwards most of the time. And that's what happens to him, even though he's a big, strong guy. He's just a bit too slow to recognize what's going on, and because of that, offensive linemen find him two, three, four yards off the line of scrimmage rather than him meeting them at the line of scrimmage. And at that point, you know, the the lineman has all the momentum. He's a bigger guy anyway, and you haven't plugged the hole. And so even if you engage hard, which he does, the running back's got room to wiggle around you, particularly if you don't keep your head up, which Alexander tends to not do. Additionally, for a big, strong guy, Alexander doesn't shed blocks well, as far as I can see. It's just not something he's good at at this point. Could that change? Sure. But right now, I'm not sure I saw him really shed a single block in a meaningful way. Uh, Final issue with, with DJ Alexander that I saw, his angles aren't always good. And so basically what you have is you, you've got a guy who at this point, and you know, you can always, I'll, I'll always know this now because of what happened with LDT. You always got to leave the option open that a player can improve in certain aspects. But at this point, what he looks like is a guy who can play really well on special teams. But if you put him in on defense, he's going to be a weak spot. And I think the coaches saw that too, which is why you didn't see pretty much any of him after that Tennessee game because if you'll recall in the Titans game they kind of ran at will on the Chiefs and DJ Alexander was part of the problem there rather than part of the solution so I wouldn't I'm not really all in on DJ Alexander I think he needs to stick to special teams and I think he kind of played because they were sifting around trying to find someone so the next guy on the list is uh, Terrence Smith who like I said, he kind of caught some people's eye, including my own, during preseason of last year as kind of someone who stood out a little bit, um, just looked a little bit faster than everyone else on the field when he was playing against second and third stringers. And those are the guys you really want to keep your eye on because that shows you something. And so watching Terrence Smith, you know, he, he had some he had a tough job coming in maybe not knowing the defense quite as well. And then, you know, you end up playing against Pittsburgh in the playoffs. It's a tough, tough deal. Um, One thing I saw about him that I really like is he is definitely willing to take on blockers. He is very physical at the point of attack. He will go after it, and he has no problem plugging holes. In fact, of all the guys that I watched, I would say other than Justin March, who we'll talk about in a bit, I think he was the best in this area, and I don't think it was even close. I think it was March, then Smith, and then Wilson and Alexander were way beneath those two. And so that was really impressive, and that's going to be important playing next to DJ if he's going to try to compete for that spot. He also, when he engages offensive linemen, when he hits that hole, he he still seems to see the running back most of the time. So he's still able to try to disengage and make the tackle, even when he's already got an offensive lineman on him. That's a big deal. And the fact that he was doing that as, as, as a young player and getting his first playing time, that could be a big deal. And that could maybe develop into something more over time. He showed good instincts with that. He also has good speed from what I can tell. He closes on the ball quickly. Um, he's also got good lateral agility to where I saw him sidestep some blockers in a way that not a lot of inside linebackers are able to do. So that's important. And so he, he demonstrates the a lot of the physical traits you want to see, although I wouldn't hate seeing him get a little bit bigger because at, at times he almost looked like an oversized safety rather than an inside linebacker. But he generally checks a lot of the boxes of what you want to see. Um, a big problem that he has is he'll run himself out of plays. He'll overshoot where the runner is, and he's completely out of the play at that point. Uh, an additional problem that I saw with his film is that he doesn't shed tackles, or he doesn't shed offensive linemen very well. And he does need to learn to locate the ball more quickly, kind of similar to the problem DJ Alexander has. I don't think it's to the same extent, and he definitely recognizes blockers better than Alexander. But as far as tracking down the ball carrier, he does not recognize where the ball is going in time to prevent the lineman from coming to him. It's the same problem. And again, no matter how big or strong you are, if you're not making the first move, you're going to have a struggle there. And so um, he's just he's just a raw player. He's just he, he's just raw overall, but he's definitely a guy that you look at and you see potential. He's a guy 
where you look at him and say, okay, I think I see the raw materials there, not just physically, but mentally. I see him doing some of the things that are required for long-term success. So he'd be an interesting guy to keep an eye on because considering the situation he was throwing into, he did some good things. Now he, again, was part of the problem on run defense when he was in. Um, Not all the time, not as consistently as Alexander, but he still was. And a part of that, big part of that, was failure to recognize where the run was going. And so that leads to hesitating, which leads to not getting to the hole in time, which leads to offensive linemen all up in your face. And so uh, Smith could one day be part of the solution, but in 2016, he wasn't. And so that uh, the, those first two guys, which I don't think that'll surprise anyone, that those two perhaps had some struggles considering what Chiefs fans saw just in the broadcast view and the struggles the Chiefs had defending the run. The next two guys, guys with a lot more film and guys that the fan base has a lot more hope for, Rameek Wilson and Justin March. So we're going to take a quick commercial break, and then we'll go back and we'll talk to the guys that you really want to talk about. All right. Let's talk about Rameek Wilson. First of all, I like Rameek Wilson. He seems like a genuinely decent guy. And uh, he's interacted. He interacts well with fans on Twitter. And I've also seen a lot of improvement in him uh, over the course of the last year or two. Um, He... There's a reason the coaches trusted him to take over DJ's spot when DJ went down. Um, he appears, as far as I can tell, to be a pretty cerebral player. He seems to understand where he needs to be and what needs to happen. And I think that's why they trusted him in such a dire situation as DJ going down. And so I, I, I like Rameek Wilson, and I do think that he shows flashes of being a guy who you can have out there and be all right. Um, but there's some give and take with him. One thing that I really like about him that we haven't talked about much with the other guys is he's got some skills in coverage. Um, he's very comfortable in zone drops. He gets good depth on his drops. He's got good footwork, generally speaking, as he's as he's moving laterally or or toward or deeper or even coming up in shallow. He generally keeps a good eye on the quarterback. He he mirrors routes of receivers that come into his zone. He passes guys off appropriately. And so that's a good skill to have. Now, it's not one he gets to use often when he's playing strong inside linebacker, but he demonstrated that when he had to come in for DJ, that he could cover a little bit. And that was huge for the secondary because they needed a guy who could do that because DJ's so good at it. And so that that's a big strength he has that I think gives him an edge over Alexander Smith right out of the gate. I also think his superior recognition, while it's not consistent, you see it a lot more with him that he seems to recognize where the run's going and move accordingly. And that gives him another big edge over Smith and Alexander, where those guys, Alexander was almost never, Smith was mostly miss. With Ramik, it becomes a little more hit and miss, but it's more consistent. And so Ramik doesn't have great speed. It's okay speed. Um, but because he knows where to be, he's often able to at least get there and help clean up. Now, unfortunately, sometimes that leads to tackles, you know, four or five yards down the field, where ideally they'd be a yard or two down the field. But he wraps up. He's a solid tackler. Um, he and that's these are important things. He's a guy you can have out there who's not going to kill you. Um, once he commits to where he's going to go. He gets there pretty quickly. He he zooms in on the ball pretty quickly. And that's another important trait that he has. As far as taking on blockers goes, this is where it gets a little more complicated for Rameek. Um, If he's able to avoid blockers, which sometimes he does, he can navigate the muck really well. And that's an important skill to have, especially if you're not great at taking on blockers. If you can avoid them a bit, keep your head up, locate the ball, and get there, that's a good skill to have. And Rami can do that. He tracks the ball very well when he's clean and when he's free from a blocker. And all of those traits, when you sum up all of them, you got a guy where you say, well, okay, we can get by with this guy. Um is it necessarily going to be a great thing that he's in there, especially taking DJ spot? No, he, he lacks the sideline to sideline speed to do Derek Johnson's job. Well, in my opinion, as well as the, the instant recognition that you often get from DJ, it's just not something he does really well. He hesitates at times. 
Um, but he is just good enough, unlike the last two who I think are going to be part of the problem the majority of the time, or at least they were in 2016. Ramik is at times part of the solution. So there's, there's, there's much more of a give and take with him than just a take. Uh, however, he can just get moved at the point of attack. Um, offensive linemen of all shapes and sizes and tight ends and fullbacks and running backs, they can move him off off the line and they can move him quite a ways. It's just not a strength of his, you know, strength. It just isn't something that he seems particularly good at. He's uh, he's not particularly aggressive in the scrum. Sometimes he is and he'll fly through and, and make a good tackle. But generally when he's engaged, he's just not super aggressive taking on blockers. In my notes, it says taking on blockers is not his jam because I use catchphrases from the 80s apparently. But he, he just doesn't really seem to always commit when he's really engaged with a bigger, stronger offensive lineman. And that's a tough place to be as a strong inside linebacker, and I think that's the re- one of the reasons he got beat out for the job. Um, he can also get dragged by running backs. When he, when he wraps up, he might get dragged for another three or four yards rather than stopping them dead in their tracks. Um, the bottom line is that, generally speaking, he just – gets washed out of the play too much with regards to taking on blockers. And he also, when you combine that with the fact that he hesitates at times, now now let's be clear on something. We don't know necessarily what the play call is. Sometimes Bob Sutton's telling them to watch and wait. Sometimes he's telling them to attack. It depends on the play call. But it seems to take him just an extra split second or he doubts himself or he's not sure which gap he really should cover. And, you know, in the NFL, an extra half second can kill you. And unfortunately for Ramik, he had a few too many of those. And when you combine that with his issue, you know, it, it would be different if he was great at shedding blockers or if he was so quick that he could get in there even though he hesitated. That happens to DJ sometimes. If he hesitates, he's still so quick and so good at getting around blockers that it doesn't matter. Well, with Ramik, he just doesn't have that skill, nor does he have the skill to bring guys down instantly the way DJ does. Now, am I asking that he be a superstar like DJ? Of course not. But these are these weaknesses. When you start to combine them together, you create a guy that it's it, again. He's not going to kill you having you having him out there. But considering the nature of the position, the strong inside linebacker, I personally think Josh Maga is better fit to fill that particular role because he's generally a little more willing to get into the scrum, take on offensive linemen, and when he does it, he's a little more able. He's a little bit bigger guy, a little bit stronger guy. And I think Ramik Wilson is more of a weak inside linebacker that maybe is a little deficient in speed. His coverage abilities are really nice to have, and I think that makes him useful to the defense. And I think he'll stick around as a backup and as a guy who can fill in. But I just don't know if his future is really a starting linebacker in in the NFL. I, again, I think he's a guy who can just come in at times, but... You don't want him being the guy, if that makes sense. Which brings us to our last guy, Justin March. Um, you know, Justin March is the uh, the tease that keeps on teasing. A couple years in a row now, he's gotten fans excited in preseason. Um, and, you know, the first year he had people really excited in preseason because he was just this undrafted guy coming out of nowhere, maybe going to win the starting spot, and then he got hurt. Well, and then this last year, he he came on in preseason. Then he got a, a, a job with the starters in a preseason game. And promptly, at least by my review at the time, he played horrible his first start um, in preseason. And they stuck with him. And his second start in preseason looked like a completely different player. And then interestingly enough, after he won the job, he, he came in. And in week one against San Diego, I think he played pretty bad. I've gone back and I've watched the film on that. It's just kind of funny when you compare his first game to his second game in the regular season. Once again, it's like the night and day kind of thing that you saw with his preseason first start and second start. I don't know if he's just a guy who, you know, you just had to get past the nerves of that first one. But for whatever reason, it just he looked like a different player. Um March is an interesting guy to watch because when you look at him, he's undersized. Um, He's a little shorter, a little lighter. Because he's shorter, though, he's built pretty thick, and he's also able to get leverage. And that's a that's a good thing because he he definitely is willing and almost seems to enjoy taking on offensive linemen. 
I'm actually going to go in reverse of what I've been doing. I'm going to talk about his weaknesses first, then we'll talk about his strengths. Um, his size can be an issue at times when he's taking on offensive linemen. Despite his willingness to take guys on, he just sometimes you're just a little bit too small. Whoever said it ain't the size of the dog in the fight, it's the size of the fight in the dog, I've got bad news, guys. Generally speaking, they're wrong. All else being equal, the size of the dog in the fight. I had a buddy in law school who once said to me, sometimes it's downright dispositive because, you know, no matter how much want to I've got, if I'm taking on a guy who's twice my size, I might struggle if all else is equal. And that's just how it is sometimes when you're taking on an offensive lineman and you're undersized and he's a big dude, sometimes he's just going to chuck you out of the way and there's not much that you can do about it. Additionally, March, even though he's usually decisive, he does have some of that hesitating that I see in Rameek Wilson as well, where it seems like he's he's almost deciding whether or not to fill his gap or whether he thinks the ball is going another way. It's almost like he's second-guessing himself. Now, to be fair, he only had three, four, five starts under his belt, and these are things that can generally be fixed with time. So he, he needs to improve on that, and he needs to improve on being aggressive Every time and when he's called to sit back and watch the play to recognize it quickly and move. Another thing, he's actually pretty comfortable in coverage as well. Him and Rameek Wilson definitely stood out in this area as guys who could cover a little bit, especially in zone. One thing I'll say is I think March needs to improve the depth of his drops a little bit, which is a really common problem for linebackers. They just love to be close to the line of scrimmage, right? That's why they're called linebackers, not because they, uh, you know, <laughs> you like being away from the line. And so one thing he needs to work on is getting a little more depth and not being sucked towards the line of scrimmage quite so much. But other than that, he actually moves pretty fluidly in coverage and showed some good instincts mirroring guys in zone. And so that'll be something to keep an eye on. So, you know, that covers some of his weaknesses. And if you'll notice, the list was a little bit shorter. And that's because, in my opinion, watching all of them, March is the clear best player. Based on what I saw, you know, and opinions could vary and it might depend on what you're looking for. There might be someone out there who really likes what they saw in Rameek Wilson. For me, though, especially when considering we're talking about the strong inside linebacker position, I think March stood out um, as opposed to the other guys, particularly given his lack of experience and all that. Um, he, uh, he he's, again, he seems to understand zone coverage concepts. And he does a decent job on that. But what really sets him apart is that he is an aggressive hitter with regards to the offensive lineman. And much like Terrence Smith, he is. However, he is better at recognizing where the linemen are coming from, what gap they're going to be in, and hitting them first. He's a guy that will zip right in there, get his nose dirty, and he hits hard. And he does a pretty good job taking on offensive linemen and using his height and leverage and pad level to, to just – plug the hole he did a very good job of it multiple times in the game that i watched um he also and you know again some of this was against solid offensive lines like pittsburgh and oakland he 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 wasn't just going up against patsy lines and he he went nose to nose with them and he did a good job with that and what sets him apart from terrence smith who's also willing to take on blockers is one he's better at it two he's quicker with it and three he combines that but with being fast to the ball as well. He recognizes where the ball is going, and he gets there quick. Um, he's got good speed. I really like that about him. It kind of adds a dimension to him to where he can kind of do a little sideline-to-sideline stuff if he needs to. Um, he, he shows good agility. He's able to step around linemen if he needs to, which is something else that I want to see from him. But overall, what set him apart, generally speaking, is there was less hesitation from him and when you combine that with his speed, his superior speed to the other guys that I watch, except maybe DJ Alexander, you combine those two and you got a guy who just looked like he was playing a lot faster, a lot more aggressive on the field. Um, he also was the only one of the guys that I watched that showed the ability to shed blockers at times. He needs to work on it. He's no DJ, but to be fair, DJ was no DJ at that for a long time. It's a tough skill to pick up, but he's the only one that showed any any proclivity for it. And so that's something to keep an eye on with him. He 
he when he's engaging offensive linemen, he keeps his eye on the ball. He's got good awareness in that respect, and he's able to pick off runners as they go by him, and he's got an offensive lineman engaged. Um, he keeps his feet. He doesn't generally get taken out by cut blocks, doesn't generally get tripped up in the scrum. And overall, from what I saw, his patience – and, and, you know, there's a difference between hesitation and patience. Sometimes, yeah, you got to attack, but you got to know when to sit back and wait for the runner to make a decision. A great example of this is, is Le'Veon Bell. He's so patient, obviously, and everyone drools all over that. But you can combat that in a couple ways. One, get to him first while he hesitates at the hole. That's what everyone tries to do, and that can be tough because he recognizes that people are coming, and then he picks the other way. The other thing to do is just wait. Make sure you beat your blocker and then just wait for him to make a decision. And when he commits, beat him to the spot. And I saw Justin March do that a few times. Personally, I think he would have made a difference in the playoff game had he been actually ready to go, which apparently he wasn't. Um, you know, they reactivated, reactivated him instead of Charles, but he didn't play. And so overall, I like the attitude he shows. I like his ability to stuff gaps. I like his ability to take on offensive linemen. It's really clear when you watch his film why he won out the spot, uh, at least to me. I think he's a, he's a notch above everyone else, and considering his lack of experience, that notch could only get higher, especially considering the the traits that he's shown. And much like I said with Terrence Smith, it's not just physical traits that he showed, but mental traits as well. And he showed a lot more of them than Smith. So I think this this kind of brings me, you know, we'll we'll kind of ease our way into the mailbag questions, but but still talk about the uh, inside linebackers here. Um, it says, are we comfortable with one of these guys? This is from AJ Burns on Twitter. Are we comfortable with one of these guys being the guy after DJ leaves? Because we know that's coming sooner rather than later. Oh, it's such a terrible thing to talk about. I don't know if any of these guys are ready to be the guy, but I will say based on what I saw from March, I'd be willing to at least take a look. Um, I definitely think they need to start addressing that that spot. But March is a guy that maybe has the ability to do it. He just shows enough traits in addition to good speed that I think he's a guy that you could eventually see being a weak out or a, a weak inside linebacker, a weak side inside linebacker. So he 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 is my guy. And now, of course, now that I've staked that as my hill to die on, he's either going to get injured again or play at a really regressed level in the preseason because at times I curse people, and I'm very sorry about that. But you know what can you do? Um, the another mailbag question we have that again we're transitioning from mailbag into the uh, into the 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 or from inside linebacker to mailbag um josh Leonard asked me if dj isn't uh 100 essentially all year what's the game plan and outlook based on the rest of the position group well it's not necessarily a very pretty one to be perfectly honest what i'm guessing now that they've re-signed josh maga now that he's healthy again what i think they will do what i would do based on what i've seen is shift march to weak inside linebacker and have Maga take over the strong inside linebacker spot. Um, based on what I've seen, I would start March at strong inside linebacker, but I think he's got the skill set to shift over, especially with a veteran like Maga next to him to help him out with alignments. And so it's going to be a big step down again, but I think with those two, I think it would be a marked step up at both linebacker spots from what we saw last season when DJ went down. And so that would that would be a good thing. Because you got to keep in mind, when DJ went down, that meant they lost both their starting inside linebackers. That front seven was so injured, guys. It was just a wreck. And so that would be the game plan I would stick with based on what we see now. We'll see what training camp and preseason show. We're getting ready to, to wind up pretty quick here. I've got a couple more mailbag questions that we'll hit real quick. The first one is why from Tanner Graver on Twitter, at uh, Graver Tanner. Why don't the Chiefs value a blocking tight end seem to cause issues in the running game last year? I would say that I think the Chiefs view Demetrius Harris as one of their blocking tight ends. I think what the Chiefs want to achieve is kind of the the Anthony Fasano type, you know, a guy that can do both. 
you know, I really liked Fasano. I wish they'd have kept him around another couple of years because he was a very functional blocker and he was a guy you could rely on to catch the ball and run decent routes. And if you've got a guy that can do both, it really opens up a lot of formation possibilities. And we all know how much Andy Reid loves to move guys around. And so I think they are looking for guys that can do both. The unfortunate truth is, though, it's tough to find guys that can do both. Harris has come a long ways as a run blocker in particular. Um, however, he hasn't developed as much as I would like to see as a as a pass catcher, which is funny considering the basketball background. You think it's going to be the opposite. But what I've seen from him as a blocker has actually been pretty solid, again, particularly in the run game. But as a patch catcher, pass catcher, he still looks wooden out there. He still just doesn't look like it comes naturally to him moving in pads. And at this point, I don't know if that will ever change. As always, we'll see this year. It's been a rough offseason for him. But you know, I, I think they do value it, but they're looking more for versatility. Travis Kelsey, for whatever reason, for a while, fans were kind of giving him a bad rap. Travis Kelsey's a very good run blocker. Um, he, he's a solid pass blocker, though not as good, and sometimes his attention span will wander a bit. But when he's locked in, he's very good. And so, and, you know, you'd see that. He sprang Tyreek Hill a couple times. He sprang Alex Smith a couple times. I mean, he's just a guy who can get it done because he's a big, strong, fast guy. So, I, again, I think the Chiefs value blocking tight end, but I think they are looking for versatility. And, yes, I agree that does – cause issues in the running game like on the goal line where it'd be nice to be able to stack up three tight ends that are like a jason dunn type and just mow people over and the chiefs just don't have guys that are great at that you know kelsey's a a decent run blocker but just plowing guys over isn't really his specialty and demetrius harris is a little stronger i think at that point but he's still not great at it and none of the other guys they've had were doing anything as run blockers, especially in goal line situations. So I agree it's caused issues. However, I think they're going to continue to just look for versatile. They want guys that can do both, and that's just tough to find. So they're probably going to keep cycling through guys till they finally find someone who can do both. One more mailbag question, then we're going to call it a podcast. Uh, from Benjamin Hook and at Z71Jayhawks said, let's talk about how the Chiefs could have the, I assume he means the best, secondary NFL, in the NFL this year and what type of season DJ could have. DJ's easy. I think DJ will be DJ. I think he'll do just fine. I think he'll have a better season than last year because I think Benny Logan is a big upgrade in run defense and in keeping uh, offensive linemen off linebackers. I think he's an upgrade over what Poe did last year. I think having Alan Bailey back will help a big, a great deal. I think Chris Jones being a second year player now will help a great deal too. So I think DJ will be better than he was last year. And he was good last year. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. The, with the secondary question, I've talked a little bit about the secondary on the podcast, so I'm not going to say a whole lot more here. I'll just say, I want you to think of it this way. Last year, the pass rush was really inconsistent at best because of injuries to the front seven. We all saw it, especially down the stretch. It it hurt the team at times. However, they played a lot of good passing attacks in the second half of the year and played very well against all of them. The only team that really did much passing the ball was the Atlanta Falcons. And while they, they were able to do some stuff, they weren't nearly as successful as they normally are. And what ended up happening is once Terrence Mitchell got swapped in and the primary corners were Peters, Mitchell, and Steven Nelson, who I think might be a bit of the weak link in that group, but is still, I think, able to, he's physical, he hits hard, he generally does all right in coverage, although I, he's often the guy that gets picked on, but they're, they're competent, and Mitchell and Peters especially played very well. Um, with that, once that group was kind of figured out and there wasn't a glaring weakness to pick on, the Chiefs secondary played extremely well. Eric Berry is who he is. Ron Parker is a very, very good safety who can line up anywhere and do anything. And that's that's a huge deal. Uh, Daniel Sorensen has become a guy who can help with the run game. He can also play deep. He's got decent speed. He can track on the ball. You can line him up anywhere. And so they've got three guys that can rotate all over the place. And here's the biggest thing. Every one of those guys that I just mentioned is going to be back this year. And so they're all going to have a full year, not only in the system, but playing together. And some of them have been playing together for years now. Ron Parker and Eric Berry have been playing together for years. Danny Sorensen's been here for a few years. Uh, Marcus Peters will be coming into his third year. And Steven Nelson will be coming into his third year. I mean, so these are guys who they've been together a while. 
And now some of the younger guys, I still think people should keep an eye on DJ White. You know, they they could come into their own. And the big thing, continuity is huge. And so I think they have that. And we'll see. I don't know about best secondary in the league, but last year it was already very, very good without much of a pass rush at times. This year, with a pass rush to help them, they could well fight for that spot as one of the best in the NFL. It's all going to depend on whether Terrence Mitchell continues to play at such a high level like he did down the stretch last year. So with all that in mind, guys, it is time to wrap up. I really appreciate you spending this time talking Chiefs with me, and I hope we to do it again with you uh, next week.